for our reading text. We are going to be starting in the ninth chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 9. So this is the, the fifth book of the Bible, the last book of the, the Pentateuch. Um, which is the first five books. So these are the five books of Moses, if you will. Uh, we, many people believe Moses was the, the writer, although, of course, he wasn't there for many of the events in Genesis, um, but that he was the author that wrote up until the very end of the book of Deuteronomy after he had died. Um, it's quite likely Joshua would have finished some of the remaining passages there. The book of Deuteronomy is... Uh, in many, like for many of the chapters, it is Moses kind of giving his final speeches to the children of Israel. He has uh, led them. God has used Moses to uh, lead the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. Uh, they have wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And they have, um, at this point, they have already uh, conquered some of the Amorites who are on the other side of Jordan. And so they are, they've already, God has already given them victories over some of the people, but they have not yet entered the promised land. So uh, God has allowed them to, to acquire some land on the other side of Jordan, and that was given to two and a half of the tribes of the children of Israel. And Moses has been told by God that he is not going to be allowed to enter into the promised land with the children of Israel. Joshua has been anointed to be the leader for the Israelites after Moses dies. So everything's kind of set up, and Moses knows that his time in this world is drawing to a close, and he is preparing the children of Israel for their entering into the promised land. And so the first part of the book of Deuteronomy is, in many cases, a recap of a lot of the events that have happened in, uh, especially in Exodus and in the book of Numbers. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, we'll start with verse 6. Um, and just Moses has talk, is talking to the children of Israel, and he's talking about when they pass over to um, the promised land, they cross over the Jordan, and he's warning them not to... to in any way believe that they are going to go into the promised land and possess the promised land because of their own righteousness. He's warning them against that. And so he kind of concludes that in verse 6 where he says, Understand, so this is Deuteronomy chapter 9 verse 6. Moses here giving one of his final speeches uh, to the children of Israel. He says, Understand therefore that the Lord thy God giveth thee not this good land to possess it for thy righteousness, he goes on and says, For thou art a stiff-necked people. Remember and forget not how thou provokest the Lord thy God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day thou didst depart out of the land of Egypt until you came into this place, ye have been rebellious against the Lord. Also in Horeb ye provoked the Lord to wrath, so that the Lord was angry with you to have destroyed you. When I was gone up into the mount to receive the tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant which the Lord made with you. Then I abode in the mount forty days and forty nights. I neither did eat bread nor drink water. And the Lord delivered unto me two tables of stone written with the finger of God. And on them was written according to all the words which the Lord spake with you in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. 
And it came to pass at the end of forty days and forty nights that the Lord gave me the two tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant. And the Lord said unto me, Arise, get thee down quickly from hence. For thy people which thou hast brought forth out of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They are quickly turned aside out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten image. Furthermore, the Lord spake unto me, saying, I have seen this, this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of thee a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mount, and the mount burned with fire, and the two tables of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, ye had sinned against the Lord your God, and had made you a molten calf. Ye had turned aside quickly out of the way which the Lord had commanded you. And I took the two tables, and cast them out of my two hands, and brake them before your eyes. And I fell down before the Lord as at the first forty days and forty nights. I neither did eat bread nor drink water because of all your sins which ye sinned, and doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure wherewith the Lord was wroth or angry against you to destroy you. But the Lord hearkened or listened unto me at that time also. And the Lord was very angry with Aaron to have destroyed him. And I prayed for Aaron also the same time. And I took your sin, the calf which ye had made, and burned it with fire, and stamped it, and ground it very small, even until it was as small as dust. And I cast the dust thereof into the brook that descended out of the mount. And at Taberah, and at Massa, and at Kibroth Hatava, ye provoked the Lord to wrath. Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given you, then ye rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and ye believed him not, nor hearkened to his voice. And then the last uh, four verses here is I kind of Moses summarizing. He says, Ye have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Thus I fell down before the Lord forty days and forty nights, as I fell down at the first, because the Lord had said he would destroy you. And I prayed therefore unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, destroy not thy people and thine inheritance, which thou hast redeemed through thy greatness which thou hast brought forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember thy servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look not unto the stubbornness of this people, nor to their wickedness, nor to their sin. And we'll stop our reading there in the 27th verse. So I know this was a bit of a a longer reading text than perhaps sometimes. But I wanted, Moses gives a lot of, uh, of history here in context because he, he tells the children of Israel, uh, Understand therefore that the Lord thy God giveth thee not this good land to possess it for thy righteousness. And he says, For thou art a stiff-necked people. And then he goes on to describe in detail exactly why he says that and what that means. And he gives five specific examples. And I just, I'm not going to cover them in great detail, but he talks about five and he gives them by the places. He talks about Horeb, which is where Mount Horeb is where he went up to receive the Ten Commandments. Just before he was going up to receive the Ten Commandments on the two tables of stone, God had already spoken to the children of Israel and had already given them some of these commandments. And they had already said, we will do as the Lord has commanded us. 
And it was only a matter of days that it took them to break one of the things that they had just been told not to do and they had just committed to not doing, which was to make a, a, a graven image or a molten image. In this case, they made the golden or the molten calf. Moses spends a lot of time talking about that one. But then he, in verse 22, he talks about Taborah and Massa in Kibroth Hatava. So at Taborah, uh, it's in Numbers chapter 11, the first three verses. It doesn't give us a lot of details, but it just says that the people complained. And it says that fire broke out from the Lord and the fire started to consume the people that were in the outskirts of the camp. And what happened? Moses prayed for the people at that time. And it says the fire of the Lord was quenched. So the, the children of Israel, they, they had made the molten calf. They had complained about something. They complained about a lot of things. He talks about Taborah. Uh, Taborah, I'm sorry, talks about Massa. Massa was in, is in Exodus chapter 17. And that's where uh, they were they encamped. And there was no water where they were camping the first time. And the children of Israel, it says that they were chiding with Moses about how there was no water and how they had been brought out into the wilderness to thirst to death in the wilderness. And God commanded Moses to strike the rock with his rod, which Moses does, and water flows out from the rock. And the children of Israel are provided water to drink. He talks about uh, Kibroth Hatavah. So this is where the children of Israel, they've been wandering a while. This is also in the book of Numbers chapter 11, uh, starting, it's the, the rest of the chapter, starting with verse 4. And God has graciously provided them this manna. It's this miraculous substance that appears on the ground, and it, uh, it tastes like wafers with honey, and they can go and they can get the, the manna, and they can prepare it in different ways. They can maybe bake it or... Um, they use it with oil. They do different things with it. And they're tired of the manna, so they curse the manna, or, and they, they, they complain about the manna, and they want flesh to eat. They want meat. And uh, they, of course, they're complaining. And Moses, at this point, Moses says something important. He says, um, he talks to God, and he, he kind of complains to God. He says, look, God, I didn't ask for this. I didn't, I didn't raise my hand and say, yeah, give me hundreds of thousands of people to lead through the desert. He said, they're ready to stone me. They're ready to kill me. And they're asking for meat. They're asking for this flesh to eat. And I have no way of providing for them. He says, These, it's, this is too big of a burden for me. This is too much for me, God. And God says he's going to provide them meat to eat for a month, which... Uh, Moses kind of laughs at a little bit. There were hundreds of thousands of people. And for hundreds of thousands of people to eat meat for a month, there was, there, he, he says, well, are we going to collect all the fish of the sea and do this? And God sends quail. There's a wind that blows and quail, these birds, they just start dropping around the camp. And they drop, and it's like a two-day's journey around the camp. And it's, I forgot how many cubits high, but it's just thousands or millions of birds that just fall on the ground there around the children of Israel. But as they start to eat the birds, a a plague breaks out from God. It says a great plague um, breaks out and it kills many of them because, and the the names of these places, they're named these places because it describes the events like that were taking place here, whether it was chiding for the water or striving for the water or the fact it talks about this, the flesh and while it was still in their teeth 
that the disease or the plague came. The last one that's referenced is Kadesh Barnea. Now, this is uh, a more common story where uh, they actually get to the promised land much earlier than 40 years, and they send out the spies to go and spy the promised land. They come back, and 10 of the spies give an evil report. They say, the people are too strong, the cities are too fortified, we can't do it. The, if we go in there, we're going to be destroyed. And they convince the people to turn away from the promised land. Um, so Moses describes in, in detail and gives them not just one example, not just two examples, but five different examples of times where in places where they complained, where they rejected God, they rejected, and there are more cases than just these five, but it shows the heart of the people that they are stiff-necked people and that they are a rebellious people. And he makes it very clear to them that this is not happening, that they're not going to go into this promised land because of their righteousness. The other thing that, it, that Moses describes is he describes how he fell down before the Lord 40 days and 40 nights as I fell down at the first because the Lord had said he would destroy you. And so it talks about how he intercedes and that word intercession it was uh, brought up in Sunday in the adult Sunday school class and uh, brother Dustin asked what uh, what what is Jesus what is his work now and it talks about um, Jesus being at the right hand of the father making intercession for us we know that Jesus intercedes for us in many cases in, and I'm gonna I want to jump into the New Testament because what I'm trying to do is I think Mo, is Moses is a, a beautiful picture of the intercession of our Savior Jesus Christ. Because so much of what we just described here, I want to take that and then I want to bring it, fast forward, and bring it to more the, the biblical narrative, the full biblical story with our Savior Jesus Christ being the Messiah at the center of that. Moses was in the midst of a rebellious people that did not deserve to be going where they were going. And God, different times, would tell Moses, he's like, stand back, I'm going to consume this people, and I'm going to make you, I'll, I'll raise up a, a different people, a better people that are going to follow you, Moses. And so God, now, God knows what Moses is going to do. So we can't pretend that God is going to to go back on his promise. Moses comes to God and says, God, you've promised this. You've promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that the, the world will be blessed. All nations are going to be blessed by their descendants, that their descendants will claim this land. And so Moses and God have this dialogue. But Moses show, becomes the representative on behalf of these people to intercede for them. They're a sinful people. They're a rebellious people. Time and time again. And Moses is the one that steps in between them and God. I got this image of, um, and it's, it's a different story, but just the picture. There's a, a pagan uh, sorcerer named Balaam. And he is, uh, he's been called by one of these, uh, the kings that are going to be the enemies of the children of Israel. His name is Balak, and Balak has called Balaam to curse the children of Israel. 
And Balaam, he tells him, I, I, can, I can't do anything except I can only say what, what God gives me to say. It's, it's a rather odd story considering he's a, a pagan. Um, he's not a true like follower of God, but yet he, he has enough awareness of God to hear when God speaks and to recognize that he, can, he can't go outside of that, that he needs to stay within what God has told him to say. But Balaam's on his way, and he's angered God. And he's riding this donkey, and the, the donkey uh, keeps doing odd things, throwing him off. Or uh, in one, time he, uh, one time, the donkey, uh, he, what's happening is there's this angel, and the donkey's able to see the angel. The angel has a sword drawn, and if they get to the angel, the angel is going to kill Balaam. But God allows the donkey to see the angel, and the donkey keeps throwing him off or stopping in the road. One time he uh, rams Balaam's foot up and crushes Balaam's foot against the rock. And Balaam is angry with the donkey. But I get this picture of here's Balaam unaware of just how angry he has made God in something that he has done. And in some ways, now the donkey isn't praying on behalf of Balaam, but God uses the donkey in some ways to intercede. The donkey has to step in and do something to prevent Balaam from ultimately being killed by this angel that's in front of them. But just, you get this, the donkey gets this physical, this, this image he can see, and we get this physical picture of the anger of God and Balaam just sort of marching towards it. And then the donkey is the one that God uses to intercede and to, to prevent Balaam from marching on to his death. And it, we see a little bit of that same picture, if you will, of God is there. His sword is drawn. He is angry because the people continue to rebel against him. And he's telling Moses, step back and I'm going to consume them in a moment. And Moses is the one that God uses to intercede for them. But he's not just the donkey that's stopping in the road. He is bowing down for 40 days and 40 nights. And he's not eating food and he's not drinking and he's begging God on behalf of the people. God, please, please don't destroy them. And he says towards the end, he says, O Lord God, destroy not thy people and thine inheritance which thou hast redeemed through thy greatness which thou hast brought forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand. So he talks about how they are his inheritance, how they've been redeemed through God's greatness. And he doesn't want the people to be destroyed for God's glory. And he talks about God's promise. And then he says, Look not unto the stubbornness of this people, nor to their wickedness, nor to their sin. Moses is their intercessor, praying for them, stepping in on their behalf, And what he's not saying is, God, they're not so bad. God, you're you're overreacting. God, look at what they've done. Look at the good things that they've done. No, Moses says you're a stiff-necked, rebellious people. Here's all these instances where you rebelled against God. And then he bows down to God and he says, God, look not unto the stubbornness of this people nor to their wickedness, nor to their sin. Don't do this for them because of their righteousness. Because we both know, God, they're not worthy for that. But God, do this for them in spite.
spite of their stubbornness, in spite of their sin, in spite of their wickedness. Now we get over to the New Testament. Jesus, it says, uh, it's in, let me just turn over there. It's captured in a couple different places. But in Matthew chapter 4, just a parallel here, it says, Then was Jesus, uh, starting with verse 1, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. Now, it doesn't tell us specifically what Jesus prayed during those 40 days and 40 nights. I'm confident he did pray. I don't think Jesus was just sitting in the wilderness, not eating food um, or drinking water. Um, I don't think he was fasting for 40 days and uh, playing lots or whatever game he would have been playing out in the wilderness. He was, he was spending this time to, to connect with his Father and pray to God. I don't know specifically what he was praying for during this time, but I do think it's an interesting parallel where we see, we know that Moses is a type and a shadow of Jesus. And we see that Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights fasting, praying for God to have mercy on the people and to not, to not destroy them and not consume them and to not hold them accountable for their sin. Not to give them what they deserve, but to have mercy upon them. I don't know for certain that that's exactly what Jesus was doing for these 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness while he was fasting, but I would not be at all surprised. It would certainly be appropriate for our intercessor to be fulfilling his, his role as the new Moses, as the, the Moses was this type, this shadow, and Jesus is the complete picture that Moses is pointing us to. Moses prayed for the people. And I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if that's what Jesus was doing. Because when we look at what Moses was doing, it's, it, it's not all that different from the role that Jesus steps into. Moses was interceding on behalf of the people. And Jesus is our great intercessor. Moses was, was praying for these people. He cared for them. He loved them. They didn't always love him in return. They wanted to stone him sometimes. They, they challenged his authority. They said he was taking too much on him. They, they said he was doing it to honor himself and to glorify himself. They complained to him time and time again. But he loved this people and he prayed for them. Jesus he loves people to a greater extent than Moses ever could. Moses prayed for them because he knew that they were a rebellious people. And we can read these specific events in, that happened in the wilderness wanderings and, and what happened after the children of Israel uh, were freed from Egypt. And we see that they were a rebellious, stiff-necked people. But that is at the heart of the human story. That's who we are. Ever since man has fallen, ever since Adam became the first stiff-necked, rebellious person, 
defying God's law, hearing what God had to say and saying, nope, I'm going to go this way instead. I don't want you to be my God. I want to be able to be my own God and be a God like you. Man fell and our story, our, our experience, our journey is filled with rebellion and being stiff-necked, being hard-headed and hard-hearted. And we need an intercessor that is going to step in between us and God. Because you see, our sin, our rebellion is just as it was back then as we read in the book of Deuteronomy. Just as God was, He was holy then. And His holiness was furious at the children of Israel's continued rebellion. And that God is still just as holy as He was then. And our sin and our rebellion makes Him just as angry as it did then. And we talked about that last Sunday, about that righteous anger of God. That sword is drawn, the angel with that sword, and, and we are just right there close to death because our sin warrants it. Our sin should be punished not just by death in this life, but by eternal death. We need an intercessor. We need someone that steps in between us and God and says, Hold on, God! I know what they deserve. I know what they've done. It's not because of their righteousness that they will be restored in fellowship to you. But I'm asking you, don't look upon their sin. Don't look upon their stubbornness. Don't look upon their wickedness. But have mercy on them. And you can do so. Because I took their sin upon, upon me when I died on that cross at Calvary. Moses, he was interceding. He couldn't take the... He, he, there was times where he even said, you know, to blot out my name. God talked about blotting out the name of the children of Israel. Moses says, blot out my name instead. And God said he wouldn't do that. Moses, he, he was... He, to the best of his ability, he interceded. And that was his role. God put him in that role and he did a good job at it. But it was always just a, a, a picture. It was just always something. It had a hint at what God was really looking for, but it could never fulfill it in its entirety. It just it kind of smelled of it. It looked a little bit like it. it, it you look at it and it, 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 it gives you the idea of something else. And Jesus comes along. And then what Moses kind of gives you the idea of, what, he, what it kind of looks like, there's Jesus. And all of a sudden, what Moses was doing, it makes sense, but it's so much better. It's so much more complete. It's not just the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness, which was Moses's. He was the leader for them, and he was interceding for them as they were going from Egypt into the Promised Land. That was his role. Jesus' role is to intercede on our behalf 
so that we can be eternally put back into fellowship with our Creator and live with Him for all eternity. And Jesus did that by praying for us and by doing everything that was necessary for that to happen, for God to be able to give us that mercy. Our sins had to be punished. And they were in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus, there's a few prayers that he prayed that I want to just quickly talk through a little bit just to kind of show, because we see it says that he ever lives in that, that scripture is Romans chapter 8 verse 34 where it talks about how he is at the right hand of God and he's, he maketh intercession for us. That I think is the verse that we was uh, referenced earlier. And so, but we, we recognize that's his place now. He's at the right hand of God making intercession for us. He made intercession for us while he was here on earth. And now that is his role again to a more complete state in, in his function in the Godhead as the Son of God. He is our intercessor. He is our advocate, advocating on our behalf to God the Father. But we can see some glimpses of this. We see in Luke chapter 22, uh, he's talking to the Apostle Peter. Luke chapter 22. In verse 31, it says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Do you sometimes feel like your faith is weak? Do you sometimes feel like your faith is just holding on by a thread? Doubts start to pop into our minds and into our hearts. Doubts of God's goodness. Doubts of God's wisdom. Doubts that cause us to, to not really trust God with our lives. But we try to take back control of them in some way. We try to go our own way in certain situations. Our faith grows weak and we grow weary. Isn't it a beautiful thought to think about our intercessor, Jesus Christ, praying on our behalf, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. I need that prayer. I need it for my brothers and sisters in Christ. We talk about intercessory prayer. We're talking about interceding on behalf of someone else. We make prayer requests where we're asking for someone else to go to God in prayer and intercede to, to be between the person and God and to intercede for them, to, to ask on their account for their favor for God to be with them and help them and, and grant whatever the request is. We need to be intercessors for each other. But we have our model, our example of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. 
we go on to Luke chapter 23, a very familiar prayer that he prays as he is being crucified on the cross at Calvary. One of the first, like it, it's in verse 33, it says, uh, There they crucified him, and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. In verse 34, then it says, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Our intercessor is hanging on a cross, one of the most cruel forms of, of execution that people throughout history have been able to think of. And he's saying, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is the great intercessor. This is the one Moses, he was, again, he's that picture, and I, I wanted to kind of build out what Moses, the, the context of where he was as he was talking to his people. And now we know that we are God's people. And here is the intercessor. Not only does he pray for, is he interceding for uh, his disciples, but here he is interceding for those that are crucifying him, even the Roman soldiers. They didn't fully understand what was going on. They didn't understand all the ins and outs of the Jewish laws and the Pharisees and Jesus uh, being the Messiah, and they, and, but they were in charge and they probably did not have much pity or concern with crucifying him. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In John chapter 2, Oops, sorry, it's First John chapter 2. We see here John writing and he says, uh, chapter 2, verse 2. Well, let's back up and get verse 1. It says, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So John here talks about how Jesus is our advocate. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it, the writer of Hebrews talks about how, talking about Jesus, it says, He ever liveth to make intercession for them. So we have all these glimpses of Jesus. It talks about him. We see him praying, these examples of his prayers. And we see after he's ascended, uh, we have Paul writing to the church at Rome. We have John writing to uh, the, his little children, as he calls them. We have the writer of Hebrews writing to the Jewish people, all of them talking about Jesus as he is interceding for them and advocating for them. And I want to end in John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Jesus here praying. Just to get the, in verse 1, it says, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said. So that's, I just want you to get that context. Here's our Savior. Here's our intercessor. Here's the one, and it's, this is, it's a beautiful prayer. 
I, there's a lot here. I may have another sermon on it in the coming weeks, but I just want to touch on it as we talk about our Savior and His intercession for us. We have our Savior. He's bowing down, praying to His Father, and He's lifting up His eyes to heaven. And here's some of the things that He says, starting with verse 9. It says, I pray for them. I pray not for the, whole, for the world, but for them which Thou hast given me, for they are Thine. And all mine are Thine, and Thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to Thee, Holy Father. Keep through Thine own name those whom Thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with thee, them in the world, I kept them in Thy name. Those that Thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath, hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest make, take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil." They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. And then listen to verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. Jesus here was praying for his disciples. In this prayer, he doesn't say he's, he's saying that he's not praying for uh, everyone in this circumstance. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. And then he goes on and he says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Now, you could take that to say there's, there were those, there was Peter and there was John, and there, then there were those that believed based on the preaching of Peter and John. But then if you just extend that out a few generations, a few thousand years, and here we are. I like to think of my Savior, my precious Savior, Knowing how rebellious I am, knowing that I'm stubborn, and I'm pretty stubborn sometimes, knowing that I'm hard-hearted, knowing these things, knowing what I deserve, but stepping in and interceding for me. He's convicted my heart. He's saved my soul through repentance and faith in His holy name. And he continues to intercede on my behalf there at the right hand of God. 
but he's interceding. He is, he's advocating for me. He's advocating that God will sanctify me. He's advocating that God, that I will be one in unity with God the Father and God the Son and with the other believers in Jesus Christ. He's advocating for glory and the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. He's advocating that I would be sanctified so that others in the world also might be saint or that even so have I also sent them into the world and for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth that the world may believe that thou hast sent me it's this is a a big topic and I know it's I feel like it's been hard to try to to zone in on the main points perhaps but I feel like sometimes it's hard for us to because we see Jesus and we see these glimpses of his prayers but there's so much that Jesus did so much that Jesus said so much that Jesus prayed that we don't have recorded in the scriptures and even what he's praying what he's doing right now at the right hand of God we know he's there and we kind of understand it but it's maybe sometimes hard for us to to grasp so sometimes I like to go back and look at Moses and see a very real concrete example of Moses interceding. Moses fasting 40 days and 40 nights. He had already fasted 40 days and 40 nights when he received the Ten Commandments. And then the children of Israel, they rebelled and they made the golden calf. And now he's praying, he's fasting again 40 days and 40 nights another time. He must have been pretty hungry after all that fasting. But he was interceding for the people. He was brokenhearted for them, begging God on their behalf. To see that, to see the state the people were in, to recognize their great need, how desperate they were for Moses to step in for them. How much more are we desperate for our Savior, Jesus Christ, to step in on our behalf and how much better is he at doing so than Moses ever was. What a great advocate we have. Praise be the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the thought that we have for our service today.